Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hi, friends. We're back. We're going to talk about burnout on today's show because it seems like we're all burnt out. Um, I hear a lot of entrepreneur, business owner burnout, practitioner burnout, so MDs, physicians, NDs, nutritionists, all of it. Parent burnout, that's an obvious one. Working mom burnout, but general population burnout. It's like clearly a problem for all of us. So I really want to get into the whys, why is everybody so burnt out? And then obviously, what the heck can we do about it? Um, And I just want to give you guys a heads up. If you are experiencing a deep burnout on a physical level, I'm putting together a 12-week program that's going to address adrenal, thyroid, and hormone health. It's going to launch in September, so I actually have a launch date in mind. And I'm only taking on a limited number of people in the first session, so just be sure to get on the wait list for that. I'll link to it in the show notes, but you can head over to my website, erinholthealth.com, and find it there as well. Um, So in a recent episode that I did with Kyle, we talked a little bit about practitioner burnout. I was kind of like waving the white flag, um, talking about my experience. And I kind of almost jokingly, but not really, put out a call out to any professionals who could potentially come on the show and talk through some of this stuff with us. Because as I mentioned, it really seems to be quite a common trend amongst all of us. And somebody reached out that exact day. So today, here she is. I've got Samantha Osborne on the show. She's a therapist based in Asheville, North Carolina, and she coaches creatives and other helping professionals who are experiencing burnout. So she does a lot of therapy in the Asheville area, but also does some distance coaching. Um, So I really wanted to bring her on the show and talk about all of this. And Samantha, as I was telling you before we started, I was so impressed by your professionalism. You really spoke to my type A heart with the outline that you sent over. (laughs) You just wouldn't believe the amount of people that reach out to me wanting to pick my brain, meet for coffee, discuss collaborations. And then when I'm like, okay, cool, what's your idea? They just absolutely go mute. So I really appreciate you being so organized, on the ball, prepared, um, and delivering such good content. I'm really excited about what we're going to be able to get into today. I think it's going to be so helpful for folks. So thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm really excited, Erin, because um, you guys are, you know, I'm a longtime fan of the podcast. You and Kyle are always so prepared and actually have real information. Like, 
sometimes I'll listen to podcasts and think, well, I'll never get that hour back. Like that was fun, but I didn't learn a lot. And I always feel like I learned something from you guys. So in thinking about being a guest, I was like, I got to really bring it because I am a, you know, sort of snooty listener. And I know probably a lot of your other listeners are too. So I wanted to make sure I was giving a lot of value today and not just, you know, information. So that is the biggest compliment anyone could <laughs> ever give me. But I totally get what you're saying, and especially because podcasts are so popular now, um, yeah. you know, in the past few years, and there's so many options. I get almost like podcast burnout or podcast overwhelm where I'm like, if I'm going to commit an hour of my life to something, it has to be good. <laughs> so like, that makes me feel really good. Um now, you work with a lot of professionals, and we definitely have a lot of practitioners that tune into the show, so we can certainly talk about things from that angle a little bit, mm -hmm. but I also think just talking about tactics for the general population will be really helpful, too. That way, we have something for everybody listening. Um, so let's just dive in. Why do you think burnout is so prevalent, and why do you love talking about it? Well, I think that, you know, one of the big things to kind of make a distinction between is like the idea between stress versus burnout. So I think that there's a lot of conversations around like, oh, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, or I'm really burnt out. And, you know, the thing is stress is really an emotional or physical response based on like some sort of adverse or demanding circumstance. So kind of we always give the example of like you're running from a bear or a tiger. Um, but I think a more modern example of this is like, okay, you have a deadline at work. You push through the deadline. When the deadline's over, the stress is over. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's very much like short term. Like I am gearing up to respond to this. I'm responding to it. It's over. That's what our fight or flight system was really respond, like was really designed to like respond with, you know, short-term stressors. And the thing with burnout is that burnout is really just us being exposed to stress constantly. It's sort of this feeling of being like overwhelmed with problems, being out of control. And stress, I, I would say, feels a lot more like energetic. It has more of that anxious sort of frantic feeling. I think burnout has that more like numb, over it, exhausted. I think you even described it in your episode as like deep in your bones, tired, rather than just like, oh, I'm a little bit stressed out and this will kind of end. It feels like there's no end in sight to all of these oncoming demands that we don't feel like we have the capacity to respond to. That's a good distinction. I feel like sometimes when I'm stressed, it's almost like a buzzing feeling. Like I yes. feel like really like high. Sometimes it feels mm -hmm. good. Like I'm like, I can do all the things. Yeah. And then when it hits the point of burnout, it's almost to the point of apathy where I'm just like, uh, I yep. don't even care anymore. <laughs> yeah. And we end up doing a lot of things like zoning out. So like maybe we're doing things where we're like mindlessly eating or mindlessly watching television or just sort of like, I need to be in a quiet room by myself where nothing's going on. That's sort of the sign where you're like, my system is really telling me like, this is too much for me to sort of manage with like a quick vacation or massage or just some time out. It's something that's going to require a more systemic intervention. Dude, you just hit on my two big ones. I was just like recently like, I just want to watch reality TV and eat <laughs> peanut butter yeah. for like the next 72 hours. Like, mm -hmm. those are, like those are my two checkouts. Like I'm just going to eat and watch mindless TV. Yeah. 
Um, all right. So let's talk about the the mas- the, the the massage thing and taking like taking a vacation because mm-hmm. I think that could be lumped into self care, which yeah. is a term that has started to grind on me a little bit over the past mm-hmm. couple of years. And I think a lot of people see that that self-care and they're just like oh cool just one more thing I have to add to my to-do list like yeah one more thing and you when you were saying that it's not as simple as taking a vacation or getting a massage I, I think that's a really important point to drive home now mm-hmm. I, I I personally love massages and I get them often for health <laughs> reasons but yeah. to be clear getting a massage isn't going to change the underlying fact that I'm a perfectionist workaholic who gets my sense of self-worth through my productivity <laughs> Right, like yeah. massages are gonna take that away. So, exactly. So, talk to me a little bit more about that. You know what I was also thinking too is that, and I've said this before at a workshop a couple of times. It's crazy to me how uh, popular yoga retreats are. It's like mm-hmm. I feel people gen- genuinely believe that they're that they're like I don't have time to do the things that I want to do, or I don't have time to do the things that I need to do to take care of myself, yet people are opting into a week away from their entire life. Like they somehow manufacture the time yes. to do that. And it to me, it's more like, how can we construct a life that you don't actually have to retreat from? Like how do we create a life that prevents burnout in the first place? Is that it's probably not just getting more massages. Yes, that's such a good point. So I think that like the strategy for thinking about managing burnout is kind of twofold. So when um, we all have something called like allostatic load, basically the amount of stress that we can sort of take on day to day, right? And everybody has a different capacity for that. So um, I heard this analogy from Dr. Megan Burt. She sort of talks about like, our bodies and our ability to be handling stress is kind of like this bathtub and the stress that we're experiencing day to day is the water and so some people have massive bathtubs right you might even call it a swimming pool where they just seem to be able to dump stress 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 stressor and they can handle it all right and then some people have like a little teacup where you know any kind of water in there seems to kind of overflow the rim And, you know, you kind of have to be aware of like what your capacity for stress is. But the idea is that we want to manage the water that's in our bathtub already, like, you know, not have water just dumping in at all times. And then also having a strategy for taking water out. So I think when people are talking about self-care strategies, they're only focusing on the water out part of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, how do I get, how do I dump some of this water out of yes. this bathtub? So yeah. they're never turning off the faucet, but oh. they'll take a massage every day, which is like a little scoop of water out of their bathtub, or they'll go to yoga and that's a scoop of water out of their bathtub, or they will um, go to that yoga meditation retreat, which might be a couple of buckets out, right? Um, but they're never taking care of the fact that like the faucet is always on. And sometimes they're dumping water in on top of what the faucet is already doing. So before we go any further with this, I have like 12 questions to ask you. Okay, um, yeah. Somebody listening, and mm-hmm. I'm sure some buddies listening, a lot of buddies listening, yes. um, might be telling themselves, might be hearing you and thinking to themselves, I definitely have a bathtub when maybe in fact they have a teacup. And yes. Because I think that that's sort of what like – 
what we're socially conditioned to believe particularly mm-hmm. i call it the modern american woman syndrome it's like women don't know their own capacities we just keep going and going and going and going mm-hmm. and so how do we know first of all why do some of us have bigger 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 containers than others is that mm-hmm. like what does that stem back to and also how do we know like how do we learn our own body's signals that like yo you're getting full That is such a good question. So I would say like, think about what different things might contribute to allostatic load or like that stress load, right? Think about what might be contributing to that. So if you have an autoimmune condition, that's already water in your bathtub. Um, Cool, 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 cool. Right. If you've got, you know, um, kids with special needs, if you have kids in general, um, if you have financial strain, if you have, um, if you're over exercising, if you're under eating, things that you and Kyle talk about all the time, those are stressors on your, like, those are, that's water in your bathtub that you may or may not have choices over. Does that make sense? I yes. think the thing that we focus on a lot is like, oh, well, I don't feel stressed, right? I don't feel that stress. I feel like I'm not dealing with that much. But if you're already dealing with like major health issues or um, family responsibilities or you are sort of trying to keep up with the Joneses in terms of like your appearance or the amount of work that you're trying to do, like that I think has a big impact on kind of our ability to manage stress. And our bathtub container can like change over time. So there might be a time where you have a lot of, you're doing really well and you're very healthy. You might have a bigger capacity for that, but then you find out like, okay, now I've been diagnosed with something and I need to tend to that more because it's taking up a bigger capacity, right? Yes. And having the ability to, to, to self audit. And I think that kind yeah. of comes with time. I my it's funny, just this morning, my aunt is downstairs with my daughter. And just this morning, she's like, when are you going to start your garden? Because I, I was <laughs> gung ho about my garden last year. And I was mm-hmm. like, to be honest, it might not happen this year, just because I have so many projects on my plate. I cannot add one more thing. Right. Um, and is as silly as that sounds, because it should be it should be a stress relief for me to get my hands in the dirt. But mm-hmm. right now, it actually just feels like one more thing I have to do. Right. So that's like my my sort of self auditing, like where before I probably would have just taken it on because I felt like I should do it. Yeah. And now I'm just like, yeah, next year sounds good. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good point. So like even things that are good things can be stressors for us, like getting married. What a joy. But that is a stressor. Having a baby, what a joy. But that can be a major stressor, right? So it's not to say that like I I really like to tell people in therapy this all the time. Nothing is really good or bad. Most things aren't really good or bad. It's just like, is this helping me get to where I want to go? So if you're having a particular thought, is that helping you get where you want to go? You know, if you are making a garden, not necessarily good or bad. It's just like, is that helping me along where I want to go now? And for you, it sounds like not right now, you know? Yeah, I like that. It's it's very contextual, right? Nothing yes. has to be good or bad. It's just, it depends on your current circumstance. Exactly. And exactly. I also think that's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around because they're like, well, I used to be able to handle this. Like for me, like yeah. last year, I, I had... I did the garden. Why can't I do it this year? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think we get stuck into stories and patterns, and we think we should always be able to perform at the same level that we always have in the past. I see that yeah. so much with mm-hmm. my clients, especially in relation to exercise, too. It's like, well, I've right. always done this. I'm like, right. 
but now your body is telling you something else needs to happen. Yeah. And I think from listening to, to your, you guys, it's sometimes that's like a signal that maybe you were doing too much all along. And now your body has said, Hey, wait, I'm really done with this. Yes. Like, um, you know what? I don't like doing CrossFit for 12 hours a week. Like this is a lot for me to take on and you've enjoyed it while it's lasted. But now that time is over because it was always too much, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And we don't always recognize what's always too much. So I think that kind of brings me to like one of the big points about burnout is like, I think the primary treatment for this, the primary way we're going to move through this is to shift our mindset around what we're doing. So, you know, I kind of think of work as like an all-inclusive term. Being a parent is work. Volunteering is work. the, The stuff you're paid for is work whatever it is that you're sort of doing that isn't you, you know, sitting on the beach, sipping my ties, like you're working. Right. And so if we think about like, you know, like, do you want to be good at what you're doing? Excellent at what you're doing in the short term, or do you want to be great over the long term? Yes. I'm going to jump in because you sent me the outline, very comprehensive outline. And when I read that your bullet points around this, I was like, huh, it really, really helped me. I, because I I was, you know, I'm going through a period of like figuring out what is my load for work and like, what can I handle and what, what are, what are my, um, like not my breaking point, but like how much can I realistically take on? Mm -hmm. And that helped me one, one thing, one way you phrased it, it's like, would you rather take on like, you know, a thousand clients in the next year or 10,000 clients, like more long term. Right. And I keep being like, well, I, you know, I want to say yes to everybody. Of course. Of course, because I want to help as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. But like, if I keep doing that, I'm eventually going to burn out and just not be able to do this work at all ever. Yes. One of the classic stories that a lot of my, um, when I was in graduate school, um, one of my friends was getting married and she was going to this wedding dress seamstress and the seamstress was asking her, oh, what are you doing? You know, what do you do for work? And she said, oh, I'm studying to be a therapist. And the wedding dress sales lady was like, oh, well, you know, I was a therapist for five years and this is what I'm doing now. Kind of like this haggard lady who was thinking like, oh no, like, what do you have to look forward to? And so that's something we sort of like, you know, do you want to become a wedding dress sales lady? That's sort of what we say to ourselves in our little group is like, okay, you know, you can go hard and fast and intense right now. And you can say yes to everyone and it feels good to help. And we love helping, but at some point that will end because our body and our brain and our mind and our spirit just does not have the capacity to push that hard for the life of the career that we want to have. And so I think when we're thinking about making impact, are we short-term focused? Like, okay, I want to impact all of these people. And every time someone calls, I want to say yes. Or do we think about, okay, I'd like to be able to say yes in 2030. That's really important to me. I'd like to be able to say yes, you know, when I'm 65, I'd like to have a part-time practice then. Like, what do you want to do? And that's the same thing for parenting. Like, I could say yes to every soccer game and every ballet practice and all these things. I could let my kids be involved in all of this stuff. Or I could be selective and pick a few 
and then they could always do those things. You know, that came in big time when I was when I was sick. Um, I just wasn't feeling well, you know, with the autoimmune stuff. There was a few years where I didn't really say yes to a whole lot of things, uh, mm-hmm. so, like socially. I, I said no a lot. Family obligations and I don't know, saying calling them obligations make them sound so bad. <laughs> like family parties, yeah. travel. I know I, I had to let a lot of people down, but I'm like, this is my healing time. So I could say mm-hmm. yes to all of you and try to make everybody happy and show up everywhere that I'm expected and sort of delay the 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 healing. Or I can just do what I need to do to take care of myself. And like, mm-hmm. look, here I am once again able to say yes to like most things that come my way now. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really like that. And it's mm-hmm. also a thing that you had brought up too, is that you can shift the way that you choose to show up. Like that's one of the reasons why I'm creating a brand new program is because yes. I, I truly want to help as many people as possible. And I know that mm-hmm. there's a real need for this, this functional work that I'm doing. So like, how can I take what I'm doing and make it more accessible to more people? Right. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes burnout can be a gift if you let it because it shows you like hey the way that you're doing things aren't working and I I think a lot of us get stuck in like that well but this is the way that I've always done this is the way I've always worked you know how this is the way that I've always crossfitted whatever Mm -hmm. but if we start to get burnt out what we can say is okay this is a sign that something's not working something needs to change something needs to shift how am I going to adapt and respond so I can keep showing up the way that I want to show up it might look different and we have to be okay with that Totally. We're viewing burnout as information, as a signal from our body, as a signal from our, you know, emotions, like, hey, something isn't right here. And let's shift this so that we can keep doing the the sort of core of what we want to keep doing, not necessarily everything that it looks like. Like I you want to keep helping people. That's the core of it. How you do that might change. I love that. I love it. And so is that what, when you're talking about shifting mindset, is that really, really the kind of the crux of it? So I think shifting mindset is more of like, you know, thinking about what do I want to do over the course of the long term? Like if I, if I serve everyone now in this capacity and I insist on doing that the same way I've always done it, then I'm not going to be able to do that over the long term. And so it's just about thinking like, I'm always playing the long game. I'm always playing the long game. I want sustainability. I want lasting power. That's the thing I'm focused on rather than the short-term benefit of being able to help everyone now or do all the things I want to do now. Just like when you were thinking about healing, I want to be well for a long time, not say yes to going on this vacation today. And I feel like what you just said can apply to literally every single aspect of our lives. Absolutely. All right. One thing I really want to dive into, it is one of my favorite words, boundaries. Yes, Um, ma'am. Let's talk about, we haven't had a therapist on the show before, I don't think. (laughs) So I want to get the therapist perspective. Like, what's the deal with boundaries? What do they mean to you? How do we set them? All of it. Lay it on us. Oh man, boundaries are, I think every good therapist, like favorite thing to sort of help people to set up because 
Um, they just really help you protect your sanity by creating time for different things. So time that you're working, time that you're with your family, time you're taking care of yourself, time that you're enjoying just white space in your life. And the thing that I love to tell my clients and tell myself is that when I say no to one thing, I'm able to say my best yes to something else. That's important. And it's it's kind of like, it's so cheesy and cliche, but it's like when you yep. close a door, you know, when you close one door, another one opens. Mm-hmm. It's a similar concept and I just see it play out so much in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what, so whenever I talk about boundaries, um, inevitably a swarm of women swoop in and say, I'm really bad at that, but I'm really (laughs) bad at that. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you say to them? Well, so I would say like anytime we're approaching doing something different, our brain is going to come up with a lot of excuses as to why that won't work for me. So I guarantee you that there is someone who's listening who's saying, yeah, that's fine for her, but that's not going to work for me. Or good for Erin. I'm glad she's able to like make some changes, but like I can't make those changes in my life. And what I would say is that think about these strategies, think about the things we're talking about as examples and like dig in and get creative in your own life. Because the thing is, everybody needs boundaries. Like everyone needs boundaries. And I might not be giving perfect examples of like what would work for you, but something will work for you. And your brain is just going to come up with reasons why it can't do that because it wants safety, security, and comfort. And even though what you're doing now isn't actually working for you, there's something about your brain that says, well, we don't know that changing would make it better. So let's not change. Right. Like I'd rather stay here because I know what to expect than venture out out there. Yeah. Cool. And I think normalizing it like that, like this is actually a normal response, right? For people to be like, I'm scared. This feels hard. I'd rather not do it. That's Mm -hmm. normal. And I think one thing that I try to get across to a lot of people is that it's not easy. I totally agree in that we do kind of attach to these stories where we look at somebody else and we're like, it's easier for her because X, Y, Z. Like we create these stories in our head and we like live by them as though they're truth even when they're not. Um, I was just on a panel recently, and one of the things that I said was like, it is not easy for any of us. It might look easy, but I promise you it is not easy. I just posted about something two days ago that was like pretty, I don't know when this is going to air, so it might not be timely, but I posted about something that was kind of hard, and I got some negative feedback. Uh, It's about a very political issue. And I was like laid out. I mean, I was calling friends crying all day, like laid out. But nobody really sees that. They just see like this tough cookie exterior, right? not seeing how hard it is for me. One of the things that I really try to do is when I'm setting a boundary, I try to do it publicly sometimes because I, I literally, there are certain people on social media that I follow just to witness them set boundaries because yeah. seeing another, especially a woman, seeing somebody else do it, it gives, it makes me feel like I have permission to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And and it's sad that it takes that, but it that's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So I feel like if, if that's what I need, then probably other people witnessing me need that too. So I'm like, here's how I'm choosing to set boundaries, whether it's talking about finances or otherwise. Um, but I, I just want to drive home that point that it is, it's really, really hard work. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> would you agree? Maybe I'm doing it wrong. I don't no, know. Would you agree? I would absolutely say that, Erin. I think it's some of the hardest, most like gut-wrenching work because I think oftentimes, and this is very gendered maybe, but I think oftentimes women are sort of, you know, trained to be people pleasers. And when we people please, we don't often have very good boundaries, right? If I'm constantly saying yes, 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 yes to everyone else, I'm having to say no to myself, but I don't necessarily recognize that, right? And often there's this pushback of like, well, it's not nice. Like if I can help them, then I should. And there's all the stuff that's tied up in setting boundaries. So it absolutely is difficult, but it's also really necessary and really important work to sort of start feeling like you have more control in your life and more joy, honestly. Can you maybe give us some examples um, of ways that you've helped some of your clients work, set their own boundaries? Obviously, you can't be very specific, but mm-hmm. but just maybe some general examples of, of how you've helped people get set those up for themselves. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I work with a lot of professionals. And so one of the things about that is like, okay, if I'm a high powered person and people need me at the office, then I can never take time off. That's sort of a belief that we have of like, I have to always be available. And I would say that that's probably not as true as you think. You are always available. So people will treat you as always available. And then you will then have to be always available. It's sort of this kind of cycle that kind of goes on there. And especially if you're a client-facing business, we often have this belief like, well, I need to be available to these people because they're that's the service that they're getting from me. So one of the first things that I try to have people do is like set office hours for themselves. And you can do this if you work nine to five. You can do this if you're a practitioner that works for themselves. Um, setting office hours and saying, this is when I'm available, this is when I'm not available, and then working yourself to sort of set that up. Um, And it's very difficult, um, but it can be done. And I would even say that I have people that are on call and set these boundaries. So um, that's one of those stories that we tell ourselves, like, well, that won't work for me because, and I, I would really challenge people to say, okay, is the thing that you're really dealing with life and death? And if it isn't, then you can set boundaries around that. I That's a good way to frame it. Um, because I think a lot of us, we almost like live by things as though they are life and death. Absolutely. <laughs> one of my um, one of my friends, she was my mentor when I first started teaching yoga. She was like, I would get so stressed out about it because I'm such a perfectionist. And she was like, we're not saving lives here. We're just teaching a yoga class. Like, you're exactly. good. You know, like, mm-hmm. it helps to, like, kind of take the pressure off of the situation. Totally. Um, in terms of another thing that's, that that has come to my attention lately is email response. Um, oh, yeah. I forget the stat that somebody gave me, but, like, in corporate America, like, the, the average email is responded to in, like, I don't know, something crazy, like, a couple of minutes or something mm-hmm. or like less than a minute. I Maybe you know. But anyway, when I heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? But I feel yeah. like that could be another place to set a boundary. A hundred percent. So what I love to ask people to do is just try it out to maybe if you're responding to email all throughout your day, maybe set aside three big chunks where you respond to email and then shut it down the rest of the time. Um, and if you feel like people have to be responded to set up an autoresponder during those other times that say, Hey, 
it's Sam. I am currently busy, you know, supporting my clients in XYZ ways. I respond to emails at one, three, and five, and I have received your message and I'll get back to you, right? That's getting a quick response, but I'm not the one doing that. Yeah, that's that's helpful. I was just um, speaking with, I was, I had a girls night out recently. I'm still recovering from it like four <laughs> days later. 30, 35 is not 25. Just a heads up. Um, But one of my girlfriends is a personal stylist, and she says that emails need to be responded to within an hour. Like, if Mm -hmm. it's beyond an hour, it is too late. And that is her job, and that's, like, that has, you know, like, that's her gig. But she also says she does not respond to emails once she leaves the office. So Mm -hmm. there's, I think there's ways, if you do have to be on call, you know, for lack of a better term, there's ways Mm -hmm. to still build in boundaries. Like you don't need to be responding to client emails at 10 p.m. at night. Absolutely. Um, One of the ways that I do it is that for clients, I tell them 48 hours. It doesn't always take 48 hours. Sometimes it's like 48 seconds, but I build that buffer time in so people aren't like by the, you know, like waiting by the phone. I also give them, it's like an emergency. Um, They have text support so they can text me if they need to, but for emails, it's 48 hours. And like that is something that I build that in for myself so I don't feel stressed out if I'm not responding to somebody immediately, you know, and it just kind of like manages expectations, I think, for for both parties. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a good point. That's a key. That's a big key in setting boundaries is number one, you have to decide what boundaries you want to set. And then you have to communicate that boundary to other people so that they have the opportunity to respect that. Um, and then you actually have to hold the boundary. That's the third thing. So (laughs) that's the, that's the most difficult part, right? So I may have a boundary that says I don't get on social media after 8 PM, but then that means that I have to hold that boundary. I don't respond to comments. I don't respond to DMS. I don't post after 8 PM because that's me holding a boundary for myself. Right. Um, if someone calls or emails me and I say, well, I'm available at these times, then I don't respond outside of those times. And there are technology tools around that. Like I think if you're using Gmail, like Boomerang is a good option. You know, if you have to respond to emails at other times because you were sick during the week and you needed to like make up work time, it can send it out during your designated email times or designated communication times. But, um, yeah, but it's like, what is your boundary? Decide on that, communicate that boundary with other people, and then be responsible to actually reinforce and hold that boundary. And that I think is the biggest challenge for you and for other people, because, um, it, it doesn't always feel good to maintain that boundary. Agreed. I can, I can attest to that for sure. Yeah. Um, I, the communication piece is, is, is a big one too. And I, I don't think it has to be as, you know, we're talking a lot about work here, but let's say you need to create a boundary with your, I don't know, mother-in-law or let, you know, with, with, mm-hmm. with somebody in your life, family member or something. Yeah. Um, I don't think it has to, what would be your advice in terms of communicating boundaries? Cause I don't think it has to be so like, I am setting a boundary with you. Like it doesn't right. have to be so, um, you know, straightforward, I guess it could be, but what's your advice on, on the communication piece? Because that, that sounds a little tricky. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it is tricky with clients and customers. It's a lot easier because often when you're like setting up a relationship with them, you can say, Hey, you know, these are my office hours. People generally understand what that means. Here's how we'll communicate. Um, here's how we won't communicate. 
this is what you can expect from me. This is what I hope to expect from you. It's very clean and easy because there's sort of a transactional relationship there. Um, I would say with like other people in your life, that's something more to like maybe feel out with them. So what's your relationship already? Do you have a good relationship with them? Do you have a not great relationship with them? If you have a good relationship with them, then open communication is probably a great option. Hey, I'm really struggling with A, B, C, and D. And I'm trying to like set some things up in my life to like protect me from, you know, losing my mind. I'm really stressed out. You already know that. I'm trying to do better about this. So here is some ways that I'm trying to do that. Can you support me, right? That might be a conversation that you could have. Um, Another kind of conversation you could have is just sort of like when people are, you've decided on your boundary and then when people are kind of violating your boundary, you know, you can say, oh, that's not going to work for me. You know, Mm -hmm. it's as simple as that. Like, well, that doesn't work for me. Can we do this, right? Um, No is a complete sentence and we can remember that. That's Um, so hard. Yes. And if it is hard, then what are some other phrases you can come up with? So like, oh, that's not going to work for me. Could we do this? Or that's not going to work for me because, and let that be the complete sentence. Or um, this isn't going to, you know, I, I don't want to do that. Or I can't do that at this time. Follow back up with me in six months when I could do that with you later on. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Learning how to say no was was that has been a process. I've gotten Absolutely. pretty pretty good at it, um, mm-hmm. just because I have no other choice as my business grows. Yep. But saying no without explaining myself that is yeah that has been a little bit trickier. I remember I one time I sent an email just saying no, I cannot do that, and I was like what? Mm-hmm. I am such a boss right now. Like I felt so <laughs> proud of myself, but I was yeah. also like shaking at the same time. <laughs> totally. Yeah, absolutely. And these boundary opportunities, like these boundary sort of settings give us an opportunity to like work on managing our own emotions for ourselves too, right? Because there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up for us of like, oh no, what if these people don't like me? I'm not meeting their expectations. Maybe they won't want to work with me anymore. Maybe they, maybe this is going to cause problems with my family relationships later on if I don't say yes to this. It, it creates, it stirs a lot of stuff up. So what I really recommend is start with stuff that you think will be easier, not necessarily easy, but easier. You know, do you not want to do this thing with the PTA? Then just say no to that. And Feel the feelings that come up with that and then try to process through those feelings maybe by journaling or talking it out with another person or doing some yoga, sitting in silence, whatever that might be, and then say, okay, that happened. A lot of times, like interventions that we make for ourselves are about having corrective experiences. We don't set boundaries because we think the world will implode on itself if we do set those boundaries. And so we practice setting smaller boundaries, having success with that, and then we can tackle the larger and larger and larger boundaries. And it's not easy and it's not comfortable, but it's really worth it once you start to say like, wow, actually, like I'm feeling great. You know, this is, I'm actually having more space in my life and it feels more of like what I want to be doing. That's so cool. It's like boundary baby steps. Yes, absolutely. It's like just we're exposing you to a little bit of risk and you're successful. A little bit of risk, you're successful. More risk, you're successful, right? The goal isn't to say like, go to your boss and say, I'm leaving every day at 4 p.m. whether you like it or not. Like, I don't recommend that. I recommend starting with things that seem easier and that builds confidence and courage to do the harder things later on. 
I will say that um, sometimes having a negative experience can still be a positive experience. I, yeah. I'm thinking of a very particular situation that I'm not going to talk about, but um, it like the worst possible outcome happened. I, I created a boundary. I held that boundary very hard. Mm -hmm. um, the worst possible outcome happened. And it, you know, it, it took me back a little bit, but that I was like, if I had to do that all over again, I would have done it the exact same way. Yeah. And I knew that I was in, in integrity with myself. And what it taught me is that like, hey, the worst possible outcome can happen and you can still survive. You can still be standing. Like, and mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. I'm doing um, praise hands over here. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Absolutely. Like, I can handle anything. And that's the truth. We really can. We're capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. One thing that is coming up for me, that, because it's a question that I get pretty frequently, so I'll throw it to you. It's mm -hmm. when somebody's trying to make healthier changes, uh, whether yeah. that's with food, exercise, or otherwise, and they get one thing that comes up is that like, well, I don't want to offend people. How do I eat this oh. way at other people's houses or social situations or with my family? Or what if people are talking about the food that I'm eating? And for me, because I've held such a boundary around my food for as long as I can remember, I'm just like, why, like, don't care. Like, who cares? Like, tell them right. to F off. That's yeah. my response. Super not helpful. <laughs> super, super not helpful. So yeah. what would be your response in that situation? Well, so this is a timely question for me because I am newly part of like the SIBO sisterhood. And so I am having to be like low FODMAP paleo for like a time in order to reset some things for myself and move forward. Um, and so that means that I am choosing not to eat a lot of things. And I am saying that very strategically, not like I can't eat this, but I'm choosing not to eat this for a very particular reason. So I would say number one, like get clear about why you're doing it. If you have a practitioner that's put you on a particular diet or regimen, why are they doing that? Like have them explain that to you so that you can actually understand it for yourself first. You're not just like blindly accepting their recommendations and then being like, okay, I'm just not eating all these foods or I am eating all these foods or I'm eating more than I was before. Like understanding why is so powerful. And then I would say the second step is maybe try to have one person in your life that you feel like can really understand those things. Like maybe that's a partner, maybe that's a friend, maybe that's a parent who you feel like is really supportive of you. Um, if you don't have one of those people, maybe try to enlist a professional there. Cause I think it's so important to have a person that you can just talk to and be like, gosh, this is really hard that, you know, I'm going through all of this and I feel like I'm weird and nobody understands and I can't partake in things like I used to be able to because of all these restrictions, um, for a particular time or a particular reason. Um, then I think the third thing would be, you know, if you feel comfortable, communicating that with people and then they are responsible for their response that's not on you so I'm sure you've experienced this before where people will be like well you can have a little bit of that or you should be eating more or you should be eating less or I didn't do this or I did do that right everyone has their own personal stuff around food it's a very fraught topic and 
people are allowed to have their own responses and that doesn't have anything to do with you. So that can be a really grounding thought of like, you know what? Nana doesn't know what she's talking about because she's not my doctor. (laughs) She's Nana, you know, and she has her own well intentions. She might care about me, but she doesn't know. And so that's going to be a centering thought or like an anchoring thought that I come back to when I go to Thanksgiving dinner. And she is sort of saying a lot of stuff about, you know, pushing food or doing other kinds of things. Does that make sense? Yeah, I really love that. It's kind of like assuming that everybody's just trying their best anyway, which makes yes. is is just like a nice thought. Um, yeah. But it, it kind of reminds you that this is this is more about them and not, absolutely not really about you. This is not personal. Like they made this casserole because they care about you, and this is a way that they can show you that they care, and so they want you to eat that. You not eating it isn't personal about them. Them being upset that you're not eating it is not personal about you. Like you're in parallel tracks there. And that's the important thing. And if you're out at dinner and no one has made food or whatever, and people are like, oh, that's weird. Why are you on such a weird thing? That's their own stuff about food, or that's their own stuff about you, or that's their own stuff about something else. Like, we cannot go through life feeling responsible for other people's reactions to us because 99.9% of the time it's about them. And so that can just be one of those grounding thoughts. And then step four would be do things to take care of yourself outside of that. So is that taking a walk when things get tense? Is that having a place to go? Is that driving separately? So then you're not like at this in this space where it's all about food or whatever else it is, right? Like it's having a plan around how am I going to take care of myself when I inevitably have emotions that come up around this stuff? How do I respond to that in a way that isn't reacting to them? Because they're not actually reacting to me. They're reacting to their own stories about food. That is really helpful. I Mm -hmm. love that. Yeah. Um, Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the whole idea of asking for help. Now, if you're burnt out, chances are you could stand a little bit of help. And this is where this is another area where many of us do not excel. I think it's Mm -hmm. this idea that we either uh, should be able to handle it all or we have to do it all or nobody can do it quite like us. I mean, it's come, yeah. it comes up for me a lot in my business, in right. my home life, in my parenting. Um, mm-hmm. God, especially as a new mom, it was like nobody, nobody can do this for this kid like I can. Um, yeah. And like even when people talk to me about delegating stuff for work, I'm like, oh, how dare you? Like, mm-hmm. I can't delegate. I'm a control freak. Um, yeah. But at, at the same time, it's like we're, we're kind of talking out of both sides of our mouth because one, on one hand, we're like, we're so burnt out. We're so stressed. We're so uh-huh. in over our heads. And the other other hand, we're like, but we will not ask for or accept help. Absolutely. Why is asking for help and delegating so stinking hard? Well, I think that's a great question. So remember at the beginning where I said your brain is going to come up with a lot of excuses about why this won't work for you. That's the same thing. Our brain follows a particular pattern. We have circumstances that create thoughts, that create emotions, that create behaviors, that create results. Okay. And so if your result is that you're burnt out and your behavior is that you're controlling all these things, then you're having thoughts just like you listed some of those out, like no one can do this like me. I'm a control freak. 
um, I can't accept help. I should be able to do this all on my own. When we have those thoughts on board, of course, we're not going to ask for help. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the question that you're asking is, why is it so hard to ask for help? That's a personal question everyone should be asking for themselves. Why for me am I challenged to ask for help? Is it because I don't think anybody can do it as good as me? Okay. That's something to work through. Is it because I feel like I can't let this go because there's so much of my identity that's in this? Okay. That's a thing to work through. Is it because I have tried to ask for help in the past and it hasn't been successful or um, I've been let down by other people? That's something to work through. So we have all these thoughts that keep us locked in these particular behavioral patterns. So I know this isn't necessarily like very helpful of saying like, oh, well, here's the reason why for you, you can't ask for help. But it is maybe about like investigating that for ourselves and doing some work around like, okay, Well, if I have an identity as a control freak, if that's who I see myself as, then of course it makes it difficult for me to ask for help because it's not in line with my identity. I kind of feel like I'm in a therapy session right now. (laughs) Like I'm getting like a little bit misty eyed. (laughs) Like like, I do, I do identify as a control freak. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That is, I think it's, it's really helpful because it's not just as straightforward as asking for help, it's hard. It's hard. It's like saying, but why is it hard for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you can unlock that, then you can start changing some of the thoughts around that and the emotions and behavior and results will come so much easier. It just is like a cascade. The thing we try to do is intervene at the end of that model. We say, I want different results, so I need to behave differently. And that might work for a time. But if you're, if you're, if your underlying thought, if your underlying belief system is like, well, no one's going to do this as good as me, then eventually we revert back to old patterns because no one's going to do it as good as me. So I can maybe let this go for a time because I'm under a lot of stress, but I've got to pick that back up because I'm the best at this. And that's the thought that has to shift in order for us to be able to accept help in the long term. Wow. That's, this is so huge. It's re I love that's such an eye opener for me, the way you said, like, we try to intervene, like at the end, like the yes. you know, the end stage, rather than kind of digging it up from the root and saying, it's actually mm-hmm. the belief that I have about myself or the world or behaviors. It's not actually the behavior itself. Absolutely. Wow, cool. Um, one thing you had mentioned is the word identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and something you had said in your email was, about investing in alternative identities. And I really like the way that you phrase that. Um, mm-hmm. can, you, can you expand upon that a little bit? Absolutely. So often the reason I think a lot of people end up in this burnt out stage is because they're hanging so much of who they are, quote unquote, on one or two particular identities. I want to be the best mom ever. So that's where I'm investing all of my time, energy, effort, money, resources, because that's who I am. I am the best nutritionist ever. So I'm investing all my time, energy, effort, resources here. I'm a CrossFit athlete. So I'm investing everything there, right? And then when the foundation of that gets shaken or something about that starts to wobble and, you know, I go see Aaron and Aaron says, Hey, you know, your adrenals are really shot. You're going to have to like back off on the CrossFit game there. 
you're like, whoa, this is who I am. It's not something that I do. It's part of how I see myself. It's part of my identity structure. And so it becomes very challenging to set those things down. And the way that we can sort of support ourselves around like not having kind of one of those total meltdowns is to invest in a lot of identities. And that way we start to see ourselves as us and these things that we're doing as just things that we do. I am not a therapist. I'm a person who does therapy, right? I love doing therapy, but I'm not, that's not the only thing that I am. And when it becomes the only thing that I am, then it's like, well, I can't slow down. I can't back off. I can't ask for help. I can't do something else here because this is a big structure of me. And if I don't have that thing anymore, then what else do I have? And so we can really support ourselves by saying like, okay, well, um, you know, I am a friend, I'm a partner, I'm a parent, I am a musician, I am a painter, I am a massage getter, I'm, you know, um, I love to cook, so I'm going to take some cooking classes and like invest more in that, right? Like there are a lot of ways where we can expand how we see ourselves, but we have to be conscious of that in order to start moving into those things and expanding that. I feel like you're probably speaking into so like directly into somebody's souls right now, my yeah. my myself included, because I mean, who can't relate to this? I think totally. So many, you know, like I I have a friend. I had a conversation with her last week about how she identifies as being a hard worker, and she got sick um, oh. a couple of years ago, and she's like, without my work, who am I? If I can't yeah. perform at this insane level. Who am I? Who am I? Right. Um, a lot of this comes up with when we identify as a um, certain aesthetic, like I am the thin, fit, healthy mm-hmm. person. And then what happens when you gain weight? There's like this whole identity crisis that comes along with that. Um, it's so hard, but I, I love what you said about like really digging into like who you are versus what you do because they are not the same. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, thinking about, I, as I said, I was away with my girlfriends this past weekend and these are girls that I've known since I was a little kid. And, you know, do they share in my success with me? Hell yeah. Are they proud of me? Yes. Would they care if I didn't do nutrition? Absolutely not. Would they care if I didn't have a podcast? Absolutely not. Like they don't care. They've known me since day one. And it's like one, I think, try to tap into those experiences of like just being with people who love you because you're you right because of the the jokes that you crack or the way that you make them feel or the the time that you can have together whatever it's not because of this way you perform or the way you look or or anything like that um mm-hmm. i think it's a hard thing to do i do, i really do but it's like when you can get into those kind of like lock yourself into those moments and like really feel it like i had a moment looking around i'm like these are my girls you know like they don't give a shit about what i'm doing out in the world like they don't they don't care in the best way possible right yes yes absolutely and you know just really grounding ourselves in the fact that like we're so much more than what we can contribute we are so much more than how we look. We're so much more than um, what we can give to other people. We're so much more than all of these things. And we have inherent value. 
And I think we lose sight of that because we are so busy, like trying to invest in all these ways that like, well, I'm worthy because of this. And it's like, no, you're just worthy because you're you. You're not worthy because of some external factor that really isn't permanent or sacred or anything else. It's just something that you do, something you're good at, but it's not, it's not part of like the fabric of who you are. Mm, yeah, we need to, we need to remind ourselves on that on a, uh, on a regular basis, I think. Totally. Well, this was an awesome conversation. Um, <laughs> we went deep pretty quickly. Do, is there anything that you would really like to close out with? Any points that you want to drive home to people listening? I guess the thing that I really want people to understand is like everybody is capable of living a life that is burnout free in a sense that like, if you found yourself in burnout, you can back out of that. If you have not yet walked down that path, hopefully some of our conversation today about like boundaries, investing in other kinds of identities, really getting clear on like why it's good to ask for help and why that might be hard for you. Like we can do things to support ourselves around this. And I also want to say like, being burnout or having gotten to the point of burnout isn't evil. It's not a failure. You haven't, you know, ruined your life. It's just like, okay, I'm in this season. I don't want to be in this season anymore. What can I do to support myself in getting out of that? And maybe how can I hedge my bets against getting here in the future? I think that if you're a person who values like success, achievements, um, excellence, of which I number myself as part of that group that, you know, kind of being vigilant against this is sort of part of, um, part of kind of our, our work. Like it's part of the reminder of like, you know, you have more to give than just these things. And I think burnout is sort of one of those things that's there to say, Hey, you know, you don't, life doesn't have to be just this. It can be so much more than that. And if we can kind of view things as a gift or an opportunity or information rather than, a burden or a failure, we're going to be so much better off. Like changing that mindset is just a huge piece of that. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely relate to a lot of what you're saying. I am, I'm of a similar mold and I I've recently come to terms with the fact that like, Hey, I'll probably always have some adrenal issues. I'm going to always have some stress issues. I'm going to always have some nervous system issues like cool. All it is is information. When I start to experience burnout, that's information for me to check in with my life and figure out like, hey, is the faucet on too high? You know, like yep. where, you know, what's coming out of the faucet and like, what can I, what can I do about it? So totally. I, I think that's a really uh, powerful message to, to end with. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. This is really, really helpful for me and hopefully for a lot of our listeners. Um, can you tell people where they can find you? Yes. So if you are just interested in generally following me around on the internet or learning about distance coaching, you can find me on Instagram at Samantha Michelle Osborne. Um, and if you're one of the Asheville peeps and are interested in therapy, you can find me at SamanthaOsborneTherapy.com. Cool. Thank you so much. I'll link to both of those things in the show notes. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It was awesome and your good stuff. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a real and true pleasure. So thank you. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. 